Hi friends, welcome to the Psyche Mental Wellbeing Podcast with me, your host, Hannah. On the show, I'm joined each episode by an amazing guest to have an honest conversation, share our real life experiences and tackle stigma and misconceptions around mental health along the way. We believe that everyone would benefit from focusing a little more on their mental well-being, and we're here to support you to do just that. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello, friends, and welcome back. Second week in a row. See, we're getting back back into a rhythm. Um, I say that as I'm recording this straight after recording the intro for the last episode so I'm sort of batch posting is something when I first started out I did a lot of recording and batching and sort of yeah got out of a sequence and I think post-covid as people are sort of getting back out and about I don't know it seems to to be kind of filtering into the podcast space that there are cancellations and no shows and all of that kind of stuff which is not something I've really experienced before but anyway here we are and um Yes, firstly, massive thank you to Mayara who joined us last week on the show. And as I said, we've got two guests for the price of one today. We are joined by Jane and Joan, who are twins. Um, and I had such a blast recording with them. Uh, what I will say is there is some swearing in this episode. And uh, we kind of go off on some tangents into politics a little bit and healthcare and UK versus US um, differences and all of that kind of stuff um, and there are some things expressed as always on the show people come on and they express their views their opinions and that's maybe different as to your views your opinions my views my opinions and you know it's one of the things I love about podcasting is hearing all these different views and, and my personal take and our take on the show is about being open-minded um, to sort of listen and to consider different perspectives it's not ever about being prescriptive because I think we're all unique individuals and what works for me might not work for you but um yeah <laughs> just wanted to when we get into to some of um the suggestions they they may not they may not be for you and, and that's fine as always it's a kind of listen consider be open-minded and kind of take what you want and leave the rest um so that being said, I really hope that you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Like I said, it was it was great fun. And um, yeah, I'll be back super quickly at the end. Hi, everyone. And I'm really happy to welcome today's guests, plural. We've got two guests, double trouble today. Uh, so we are joined by the therapy twins, Joan and Jane, identical twins who are retired mental health caregivers and authors. In their book, From Under the Hood, they come out with their own mental illness, despite its taboo among the profession, through storytelling that's guaranteed to make you laugh or cry or both. And I already know there will be a lot of laughter in today's episode, maybe some crying, who knows? Um, but Jane and Jane, lovely to have you here. Welcome. Thank you. We're so happy to be here. Thanks. More. Anywho, uh, yeah, that was wonderful coming out with our own mental illness because even our uh, university that we went to uh, made sure they said at one point when I was running a group, I uh, had to write a paper. So I added my own mental illness in it. And she said it was wonderful. It was wonderful how you got the women to open up. And she said, and make sure you never disclose that in practice. And that took me 
a back a bit, how we say over here, that that bugged me, actually. And I never confronted anyone on it. Well, there were a lot of things that bothered us <laughs> <laughs> since birth. <laughs> uh, one of the things um, that bothered me is that it was like kind of um, if Joan had PTSD, it just seemed like I couldn't be considered for it because well, I don't know if you've noticed, she's the funny one. And although I do have a sense of humor and am funny sometimes, <laughs> each twin, at least in America, in the Northeast, in the 60s and early 70s, each twin holds a uh, uh, identity. identity. And then the other one can't, oh, can't have it. Can't have correct. it. It's yes. so weird. Yeah, that's correct. Actually, because she was the smart one. That did not and, go well for and me. And she has two <laughs> master's degrees to prove that she's smart. And yet there's still this, you know, it's funny. I just said to her something yesterday that because I was called the smart one and I am above average, but not that much above average. And no, that's I'm, for America. So in, in America, <laughs> you know, yeah, for America, in America, by America. And, you know, so I am a little above average, but because I was called it so much when, when it was uncool, when it was cool, I could do the dumbest blonde thing. And now we even have blonde hair. I could do such a dumb blonde thing, laugh at myself, but I never feel stupid. It's so interesting to me. But boy, do I feel not funny sometimes. I feel so not funny and boring and depression. It gets so, so dark that one of the reasons I wanted, many reasons why I wanted to come out with our mental illness is I wanted to say that depression can be presented as your primary symptom, even though it's secondary to trauma. Yeah. Especially like the orphanage babies. You know, we were in incubators Separate incubators. separate incubators for 30 days, our first 30 days of life back in the days when mommy and daddy could only look through the window. Now, of course, everyone understands human touch. Yeah, they didn't like all those people. It really incarcerated. And really. so Joan was so much sicker and was poked and prodded and was having seizures. And, bleh, and I was re wheeled off to the side because I was just this quiet. I was a normal dissociating baby. But what's not normal is to be 30 years old and dissociating and your son is two and he grabs your shoulders or knees and says, Jane, are you listening to me? You know, clearly the answer was no, that I wasn't. But anyway, so we did, what we wanted to do was to help other people realize that these symptoms can happen to us too as the therapists. We wanted people to know that we have it too. We know what you're going through because that type of human interaction tends to be so helpful. Like in AA and NA, because in America, of course, if you don't come out, you're almost unqualified. You actually are unqualified. They prefer that. And it's interesting that right next door isn't something else within your body or around your body and you can't bring it up. But if you break your arm or have diabetes, which can be most can be reversed by diet. Are you kidding me? You can, you almost orgasm when you say I have diabetes in the like, wow, it's almost normal. 
The same with obesity. It's like, oh, you know, I'm Joan, you look sick. And I'm thinking, huh, Google the 70s, uh-huh. bitch, uh-huh. you know? She's, anyway, I'm she's sorry. She's the thin one. I'm sorry. Thank she's you. the thin one. <laughs> so thank God eating disorders hadn't quite launched when we were growing up because I mean I do I do fit the criteria for binge <laughs> eating disorder I actually do um but back in the uh 60s and it was a, a little more rare thank goodness thank mm. goodness oh I wonder if um you know because you hear sometimes just in in siblings about you know this is the the smart one or the you know the sporty one do you think it's more pronounced in twins that that kind of split under a microscope pronounced our mother uh was an identical twin they're both gone and she said um what she said was growing up a twin is like everything about you because we were complaining somebody pointed out either pimples or varicose yes. veins mm-hmm. or our hook noses or our flat chest it's like wow this wow. is just awesome growing right. up Isn't here wonderful? oh and our height because we were five foot nine <laughs> in a small town that looked like you know hay was over there and everyone was as tall as the hay barrels and i was like oh, hello we're you know we could go shoot basketball hoops when we were whatever in sixth grade and where was this going the, oh that we are under a microscope yeah it's, it's it's like the paparazzi yes. and you're not famous so occasionally occasionally <laughs> our older sister says you guys um what would you act like you want fame no. and we're like no 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 <laughs> we're just reliving our childhood wondering where's the paparazzi yeah there mm. And I think, you know, your your story and, you know, what your sharing of it is really powerful. And I wonder if, you know, um, I guess maybe UK and US mental health services are a bit different anyway. But do you feel there's been a change in how open professionals can be about their own mental health journey? Or do you think there's still quite a long way to go? I think that it has a long way to go. Mm-hmm. But I think that it, people have lightened up a little bit with it so that I think we're on the right path. And I think one of the reasons, you know, isn't it always yourself, you know, you're, you know, you're, it's yourself is the roadblock. You are, you know, the problems there, the solution <laughs> is probably there as well. Right. But, um, I had a, a, the honor of treating a gentleman with his doctorate in education. He also had, a mental illness. Oh, obviously, because he was coming to me. So when he read our book, um, I was shocked at his response. And he said, well, you two have a lot of balls. And I'm, I'm like, what are you talking about? And that he wasn't it funny. Right? <laughs> it, he yeah. just thought. So him having his doctorate, a different branch of education than us, but still with people. And he just thought that it just, it, that can ruin you. It, it can absolutely ruin you. Um, and that's why for me, one of my idols is the woman, the PhD who created dialectical behavioral therapy, Marsha Lenahan. She from the Midwest, boy, she was in restraints. They called her schizophrenia to bipolar to everything. And she suffered from trauma. And she came out, it was an article in the New York Times somewhere in 2000s. 
And she came out with her own mental illness. And I thought, my goodness, if she could do it and it helped people, because it certainly helped me to hear that about her. And I just figured we could help people too. So we have so many reasons for doing it, but um, I don't even recall the question. I hope we answered some of it. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry. It's just like a prompt to just kind of (laughs) share some stuff. (laughs) Uh, yeah, because I, I mean, I um, work in education and mental health, and I think I'm fairly open about my own mental health experience and, and journey. But I wonder whether or what your thoughts are on if um, particular roles maybe make it more difficult to be open. So if, for example, you're um, a counsellor, depending on what type of counselling you're doing, do you think that that maybe can make it a bit difficult to work with a client if they're sort of asking you about your experience or kind of, you know, thinking about that too much? One of the things, um, at least in Western medicine in America, what we were taught is that um, you can actually share things about yourself, but not when it's happening right then, the worst crisis of it. So, um, you know, or like a necessity. So I remember being a new therapist saying, this is what you should know. I, um, I am a single mother of a five-year-old and that's why my phone is on. And if it's the school, I have to answer it or, and then later, a few years later, I had to reveal, I didn't have to, but I chose to, I added, there's two things you need to know. I'm a single mom of a blah, blah, blah year old. And then I added, and I have an identical twin sister in New Haven County. You may run into her. And if she doesn't know who you are or recognize you, you know, my bad, that might be my twin. Because it, it, there were some trouble. We ran into trouble where Joni was the inpatient nurse still as a staff nurse. And I was treating a young man. And he as, and a, his, as his therapist, yeah. and he went inpatient. Yeah, and he th- they thought she was me, and how dare I? And right. I was treating them so poorly because I didn't know who they were, and it just <laughs> it didn't go well. And he ended up in four point restraints, which really didn't go well. And it wasn't until after that that they said something, and I realized, oh my god, I'm an identical twin. Yeah. Anywho. Yeah, I guess it's an an extra yeah. level. I guess the the point is, is yes, you can share as long as it's not your current issue. Mm. Um, Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. And I wonder if we could talk a little bit more about trauma. Um, And I know Mm. there's something that you like to say about trauma and about the kind of how you sort of move forward. So I'd love to hear about that. Well, um, I want to start with, we have often been on podcasts promoting another book and that's <laughs> the funny part because we wrote a book. Uh, when we retired, I actually had time to read and I came across a book because I was looking at the Amazon rating of our book, which was in the thousands <laughs> or a million. Hundreds of thousands. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I wanted to know what's number one on PTSD because, you know, I needed to get this under control, which, you know, I thought I did. But I needed to understand it. And it was The Body Keeps the Score. And he is so amazing. Can you share his name, Joe? Yeah. Uh, uh, Bessel van der Kolk, I think, is his name. I might be pronouncing it incorrectly. But, you know, on another podcast, I referred to him as God because he described in detail all of the things that I had had. I was in a high-risk career, high-risk relationships. I needed to watch violence on TV. I saw Scarface 
in the theater when it came out and Jane and her husband at the time, her husband was blown away and said, my God, that was so violent. And I turned around and said, you think? Like I actually had a, a release of calm. And he spoke about when you come from violence and we thought that we knew this as therapists, but yet see when it's within you. So that's why you don't want to share at the time because you don't see it. We knew this. If you come from a battered home, you, you feel more comfortable in a battered relationship. It is familiar to your body. And to realize that Jane dissociating in an incubator and me being poked and prodded, I felt like a firecracker my whole life. People were like, how do you feel? I don't know. I feel like I'm on an electric electricity and I'm moving like that electrical current that got loose. And she was so calm. I just didn't get it. But we do oh, now. Oh, because uh, you know what? We're we're psych nurses, and then we were therapists. But um, I did. I can't recall if it was. Uh, it was around four years of critical care, nursing, and one place I worked. They said if Jane were any calmer, she'd be dead, because I managed to be the slowest moving person to the bedside to a code be, right to a code because yeah. i saw too many people i think it was only two but it was too too many that tripped and fell and then they couldn't be a nurse anymore or a doctor in in that type of setting you know and i was like oh you know i'm not going to be that person but yeah i had this a really over sense of calm but what i liked about the little i've read of the body keeps the score cuz Joan and i have a history of when when we can make twin being twins <laughs> an advantage, like when you're in college and you have to take these couple of humanities classes, one being man's religious quest. She memorized half the religions. I memorized the other half. And in the um, late seventies, early eighties, you could drop, everything's on paper. You could drop the, the pad and swap papers the booklets yep and then cheat and each of us knew the and and we we learned how to do each other's handwriting which can get you into another whole weird place when you have the ability to forge every member of your family's handwriting but dr bessel vandekal yep. taught you what yep. but what thing. what he taught me though so here i had this ability to have a, a calm mind I learned one time during taking a medication, but Dr. Vandalport said, because the body keeps the score, I didn't realize that I had so much anxiety locked in my body because what happened with one of the antidepressants I was on, it apparently also relaxed my body a little. All of a sudden my handwriting changed and I noticed things were relaxing. So <laughs> What I think is so important that was never talked about to me because the focus of depression, it, I know depression gets dark and there's a lot to talk about, but. <laughs> and muddy. I, I didn't realize how much anxiety I had in my body and how much maybe yoga or water therapy, you know, could help me. I didn't even know it was there. It's like the depressed person that doesn't know how to, even identify an emotion rather, you know, it, and express it like you're like clueless. Yeah, whatever. So what I love about his book is that in the early 80s, the psychiatric facility that I started out as a new nurse, brand new, was a long term facility. 
average length of stay was well over a year, but we used to say 10 months because every so often somebody got better briefly. And what they did, they could never do now. What they did was they took people off medications for three full weeks to wash it out of their system. And excuse me, they were the long-term mentally ill that had to have failed three other inpatient hospitalizations. And these were the um, doctors from Yale University that I was in awe of back in the day that, that collaborated with parts of Europe where I think it was even Norway, I, I think, and came back and taught all these wonderful things. So back then the treatment was what he talks about in his book. Back then the treatment was validation, bringing them out to uh, you know, a pizza place, a movie theater. I went on a ski trip. I was the nurse with the psych meds in a fishing lure box and at Denny's for breakfast, they were joking with me, of course, because they were all boys. They said, we're not going to take our meds today. And it was like, uh-oh, here we are in the middle of Vermont. I don't know where to go. <laughs> I don't ski, so hello. Anyway, it went really well. And those people got better. They had a transitional unit. So as soon as business suits came in in the later 80s, they took over health care. It was like, are you kidding me? Now, average length of stay is 10 days. It is a revolving door. No one's addressing the bigger picture to the point where even Bill Maher said on this show, you mean an alcoholic robs a liquor store and it's not what, a crime? No, the, Crystal Ball was just trying to widen the lens, Bill. And I, I'm usually for the dude in a relationship. It's like, dude, you're killing me here. You're not my idol anymore. But he's older and white, and they're having a very hard time leaving this country in to America others right in America, now. the older white guy. I see it in two of my idols. They're having a very... <laughs> and they're white, and they're male, and I was like, oh, now you're acting like, oh, bummer. Look what you're acting like. But move over, like our passport says, and let the younger generation in. <laughs> and again, I don't think we answered your question. It's <laughs> okay. <laughs> Do you think um, there's a move to, you know, back to more of that kind of community support? Because I know in the UK, you know, still through the the health service, which is a difference in itself, but the, the health service for mental health, there is much more trying to have community support. So, for example, I work uh, on a service that's supporting people in the community uh, after they've maybe been in a psychiatric unit to sort of with that transition and to engage with other kind of activities and to have that support. And so I think there's more of that in the UK. And I wonder if there's a similar change in the US. Hmm. Well, now we've been retired for a few years, but you know what we, what we have are a lot of systems that are in place and they went in place with excellent intentions, you know, but they seem to get so flawed along the way that I'm trying to think of one client and I can't find one. Right. But I'm trying to think of one client that ended up, you know, inpatient, then sort of outpatient, then like with the community assist. And I could th maybe think of one. Now that's sad if maybe 25% of my, practice was the chronic mentally ill that would require those types of services. So yeah, I don't think we're, we need to redo some of these systems because back in those early eighties, the person that created, you know, teach this person, how to use the bus system, teach this person, 
how to water plants, anything that you're going to help somebody with. She was the occupational therapist. And then the nursing staff and the other uh, support staff took over whatever she couldn't do. As soon as those suits came in, her job was gone. Like, bye. I don't even remember her name. They took her out to last. Art therapy left, music therapy, because I think in America, if you're not up and moving and walking around, you're not working. Yeah, so you're lazy. You're, you can't possibly be thinking of something. You're an American. Like, I, I really believe that they have this thing going on. And so, no, I don't. The community's lost. It's gone. You know, now that Joan's saying that, so think about it. Um, things are supposed to start from the top with that trickle down effect. Well, if the top is inpatient and we cut inpatient, all those services, music therapy to occupational therapy to all of it, we've cut it. How do we expect any of that theme to trickle down to it? And then maybe that's what I see was missing you know, because that's gone. Now, you know where it's not gone and is added in. And in, in my opinion, kept quiet, at least on the other side of medicine is oncology. So mm -hmm. we, uh, New Haven got the Smilo Cancer Center. And there's this whole joke about how the Smilo Cancer Center has massage therapy to aromatherapy to pet therapy to occupation. Well, hospitals in general have to have occupational therapy, but a lot of uh, extra support and they keep it a little bit quiet rather than aren't we doing great because they are, they get the best reviews and maybe the rest of you should follow this model, but it's, we're not there yet. We're so not there. Well, that's because we chose businessmen for bedside care, and I don't think they're great at it at all. Anyhow. No, no. <laughs> you know what? And we pay for it. Right. Isn't that great? Oh, God. Our, uh, wonderful. Our health care. <laughs> oh, gosh. We pay so much. Um, and, and our care isn't as good as even, I think, you guys. I don't think our care is... We rate very low, yeah, if you, really low. If you look at the people. because well, the people in the whatever the money pockets, they have to promote uh, processed stuff, whatever they're promoting. And yet, what's great about the internet? I know there's a lot bad about the internet, but what's great about the internet is America can't hide that other people are changing their diets or changing their environmental habits. And Germany, you said, if you're in a political convention or whatever it is, if it's political in our government, it is plant-based for the environment. Water, we, Americans, they, we have what people watering the lawns still, and it happens to be raining. They just forgot to turn the sprinkler off. It's crazy. It's crazy how we deny it here. We're young. We're sorry. Oh, we are so sorry. <laughs> I, I think, so yeah, I think, um, I mean, that's, you know, healthcare generally is a whole different topic. And yeah, the US healthcare, I think as an outsider looking at it, sometimes it's just thinking that doesn't make sense. And my perception, it might be completely wrong because it's just from the media, <laughs> is that that people are quite can be quite wary or funny about the idea of free healthcare, that it's this extreme socialist thing and it's terrible. And I think people who live in countries where they have free healthcare are just like, why? Right, right. 
Well, I mean, because we have to be the um, famous capitalists and we have to say that that works. And and then you have to in order for that to continue to work when we can see that it's working differently in other countries when basic needs are met and basic needs seems to be healthcare at this point that we have to keep up the lies around that to make sure that it, we would never because in our country when it's uh it's voting time oh my goodness that word socialism it, it, you have to it's communism it's dictatorship yes. it's it's that it's whatever it's there it's so bad that you don't want to go there. And that's what they are doing to us. It's that whole fear thing. Our country's wonderful at that. When you, Very when, good. When, when everything else is failing, let's go back to John Wayne movies and we will just scare the shit out of everybody. Keep them fighting and let's move on. Mm. It's it's wonderful, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, Joe Biden, I really, I don't want a political party. I don't like either political party anymore. I want to, you know, I'm a, I try to be an independent, except I moved to Florida and apparently you can't vote here. They really knock you. I was ready to say a swear word, but they knock you out. You will not be able to vote in Florida. It's hilarious how when I tried as an independent, I never got through. It could have been the sunspot. I will give Florida... They have a lot of sun here. It could have been that sunspot. But the minute I chose a political party, I got through immediately and got my receipt. And so my parents told me this before they died. And I thought, you're old. That's not true. You don't know how to use a computer. And it's me. Again, Jane's right. Everything was me. It was always me, Dorothy. You always had the way home. It was you, the slippers or whatever the fuck Dorothy had. Yeah, that. It was always her. And that's wonderful. <laughs> but I, yeah. I started thinking about Joe Biden. He starts, he's imitating our father and our father died of Alzheimer's. And you know what I want to say is, it, again, in our passport, if you've ever read it, it was a day that we had nothing to read. <laughs> and I had a moment, an ADHD moment that I could read a short book and I picked the passport up and it says, move over. And that's when I started judging younger people less because we need to move over. We don't want to retire even at 65. Well, they told us to retire at 67, but now we want people in the White House in their 80s? I'm sorry. I don't understand that. Get out. Anywho, that wasn't the answer to the question either. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a, a fun detour. And yeah, I've seen some of the, the responses to the word socialism, which I find very interesting because I think the... <clears throat> Um, well, my perception is that the the US understanding socialism and the kind of the way that socialism is in the UK and it's sort of that is very different. <laughs> it's, yes. you know, anyway, it's a whole other topic. We could talk about politics and healthcare. Yeah. Um, so I wonder, I mean, we could keep talking all evening or morning for you. Um, but I wonder if you have um, a final thought about your book, about being twins, about trauma, about anything before I ask you my set questions. I just want to mention something that um, I have realized. And one of the reasons I think I realized it is we were rereading the book because we're going to republish it on Amazon. And just so we can make maybe 10 or 15 cents a book instead of three cents. That was, you know, whatever. <laughs> and um, what I realized was without saying it, um, our twinship, if I can call it that, I never associated with a tiny unity. And I feel like the book, our story, 
show that we need to go back to having a community. We, you know, we in America, it's the police versus the rest of us. Well, there's a party difference on that too. And um, when we were younger, the police walked around and, you know, there were people that knew them by name and, you know, we don't have that anymore. And study after study after study shows that without the community, you have what seems to be happening in America at our worst times. We pretty much show the world, this is what happens when you don't have a community anymore. So I have a final thought that I realized during my practice that um, some of my symptoms of PTSD were identical to incarcerated individuals that spent half their life in prison. And I realized, wow, you are on regular medicines. You think you're better. And look, at you, you, I saw myself in the mirror. Unfortunately, again, it was a man. So through my whole life, I'm like, am I a guy? Am I, was I supposed to be the boy twin? Because okay. we were told that in 1960. A whole nother story. That is a whole nother podcast, podcast. for trans. Okay. But other than that, I, I didn't realize that being assaulted causes some of that. So what I did with Dr. Vanderpoel's uh, book was part of or all of my symptoms came from childbirth where I didn't never want, you know, if you talk about inner child, I'll vomit. <laughs> if you want somebody to say to me, like, Joan, you have to heal your child, fuck her, put up, pick up your bootstraps, let's move on. I'm very get over that. I can't go back there. But if you hypnotize me, possibly I could. But yeah, I, what I want to say to people is if you have the anger and the hatred and the feeling that you don't belong on this earth and the earth would be better off if you were dead, there's help out there. And I got it because of her. And I don't think because the rest of my family, I asked them for help. And at the time, all three of them said, fuck you. <laughs> That's your problem. You knew that. You read the book. It's really you, Dorothy. And I just never liked The Wizard of Oz. I actually hated it. And there you go. I, I didn't have Jane. One, I might be dead. Two, I would never have been educated because I wasn't smart. She went on the interview for me because I was. I didn't know what to, how to do it. So when Gen Z kids are have crippling anxiety, I think I had it too. And she got me out. I would have been agoraphobic and I would never have driven again. Because she also did that. Don't do it. Stop the car on the highway. Don't do that either. But she made me drive home too. If I wanted to see mommy and daddy and our other sister, Lori. So what we have coming in the United States feels more like we're headed with cancel culture. It's and, and calling kids. Oh, you're so anxious, but we went through blah, blah, blah. We don't validate any of that. Right. What, what the kids today are looking forward to is um, probably we'll get to public hangings again, rather than the kind of community that, you know, the guy down the street, well, hopefully he doesn't molest you, but the guy down the street yeah. gives you the best advice you ever heard in your whole life. Or the cop says, listen, um, you know, Billy, your house is through the woods there. You go home. I'll make sure your car is fine. You know, you shouldn't be driving. You know, now everything is money and lawyers and you're a criminal. And, you know, every saint does not apparently have a past, but every sinner, you know, that's it. It's a life sentence or you have to, we're going to go death sentence. You're dead now. That's a whole nother topic, but what <laughs> the Andalgar, so anyone who's so, so down and out, read our book, 
if you feel like it's a nice ADHD friendly 50 pages, but really only 33, <laughs> if you really count how many pages um, from under the hood, or please, Bessel van der Klark's book, The Body Keeps the Score, if you want the whole scientific thing. It's a wonderful, wonderful book. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much um, for that and, and for sharing. And absolutely, I love that book, would echo your recommendation. And I wonder if you've seen uh, or come across Gabor Mate, and he had um, a documentary on um, the wisdom of trauma, I think it's called. And actually, there's some really interesting bits in there where he's talking to people who are in prison um, and thinking about trauma and thinking about all those things that have contributed and all those adverse childhood experiences and the impact that they've had. And it's a really sad but really powerful documentary and actually thinking about things a little bit differently rather than just, yeah, someone's a criminal. or um... Right. Right. Well, that is on our list to probably watch tonight. <laughs> um, but, you know, my son read a book and I, I, I love to promote it, but I don't recall the name of it. And it was about this gentleman saying about um, things that we will look back upon in 100 years or 500 years, et cetera. It was a Joe Rogan interview and he interviewed him and, and he asked him. And, it, it and this man said the, the prison system. The way what we do to again, what we do is we make social if you're not an anti if you don't have antisocial personality disorder before you get into prison, we make sure you have that you will have it upon release. And all that does is keep an entire population down. And then people will look at the, like call them savages just like we did with the Native Americans. Oh my God, I love my country. Another podcast. And the thing about Dr. Van, I didn't know that he tried to get his information into the DSM, the mental health Bible here of diagnosing <laughs> so that the businessmen somehow did cheated and got, maybe they got paid and we didn't. <laughs> it's just awful. Socialized medicine is so such a, a humane thing. But anyway, he tried to get into the DSM. He was blocked. From around the world, I kept thinking, oh, yeah, every, yeah, the AMA was blocking them. But no, there were representatives from around the world, and I think they were all white men at the table, but they blocked him. And it's because, you know, I was talking to my ex, not our ex. I almost said our ex. He calls every morning one of my exes. And he's a business, he was a business model from Yale University, and then he became a nurse practitioner in his 50s and is a great therapist. Another podcast is why you don't marry your therapist. That was John. Um, anywho, strike that from the record. He was blocked because America would have to do something about trauma. We'd actually have to have social services. We'd have to have more socialism in a humane way. More specifically, childhood yes. trauma. So, of course, <laughs> follow so, the money. There's nothing good. So we all have PTSD. Boom. And unless you're treated like that zebra who got almost killed from the lion, which all of Europe in most places that are doing well, treat you guys like the zebra and the zebra heals, you know, wonderfully so that they can go back out with the herd and graze again. Because, you know, my ex jokes and Van says he didn't get PTSD from being mugged and stabbed. I'm going to beg to differ. It takes many years, doctor. <laughs> so believe me, my family knows when those symptoms came out many, many years afterwards. But anyway, he'll disagree. He'll say, but how could everyone in America have PTSD? Because we don't treat the 
child, we're comfortable with starving children. How about that? Throughout history, we're very comfortable with that. A cop, first thing he said was, the worst thing he saw was a turkey in the side, a frozen turkey in the corner of a drug house that they came in and raided. And he said, I was positive it was a turkey. And then he came upon it and it was a child who died of starvation and then was wrinkled up like a frozen turkey. But we don't care. We know this information. We don't care because the pockets need to be lined. And I get it. My mother said, it's just as easy to marry a rich man as it is a poor <laughs> Never learned that. I see that it was. Everyone gets boring in bed. I see that now. And I could have been divorced with something instead of without any <laughs> thank you <laughs> thank you and ah! you've actually um given us a book recommendation which actually was one of my my questions so I've got another couple of questions yes um so my first one our topic on the podcast is mental well-being and I'd love to know what mental well-being means to you Oh, wow. Mental well-being. It's interesting because we should probably be asking kids every few years, you know, or parents should be doing it. Um, Because I think I thought of it differently over the eight. Well, I I don't think I did. I know I thought of it differently. And as I got older, what I realized is, you know, so for example, um, a lot of people say that all emotions can go down to two things, anger or fear. And then and I think there was three, but now get rid of anger. Really, everything is about fear. So but when I was identifying peace, I remember thinking and I guess appropriately, but I didn't know it at the time is all I wanted was some freaking validation. I just wanted someone to validate. And then our father got. Um, dementia, ultimately Alzheimer's. And he starts validating me, but with dementia, Jane, didn't you get some kind of award or whatever? And then I realized, I said, oh my God, I got the validation. I thought this was, and it wasn't my serenity. It's really about peace with a little bit of happiness in there. And in fact, you can view peace as joy. And so when, when you could be poor as hell or wealthy, but when you find that joyful place, there's like this peace and a smile. I, for me, that's it. And the way to get to that for me Mm -hmm. was all my relationships had to be healed. You know, plus you have to find a little something that you enjoy. Um, and I'm working on one right now that I will, will not share, but uh, that's my goal. And that for my own mental well-being, which obviously is all about me, and our next book is about the ego. So even my own happiness, the peace is really for myself, clearly. And ditto, they they say that everybody, because my anxiety was out of control, but so was my obviously that was my fear. That really, what you want, you don't want happiness, you want peace. And peace to me is not uh, my vital signs aren't all the way up. My head isn't fucking crazy with thoughts. And I don't sleep, but I realize that the incubator, a doctor finally told us in our 50s that uh, because of that incubator in the 60s, the lights were on, the fluorescent lights were on 24 7. So we, our body never learned how to produce melatonin. And therefore, 
it's like, you don't know when to sleep. So I ended up working the night shift. I don't recommend that the overnight shift because I was already awake. Why not get paid for being awake? Mm -hmm. I was the good. But what I want to say about peace is the medical marijuana program in America, it obviously should be legalized, um, is the only medicine plant alternative, whatever that has allowed me peace and allowed me to look at my own self because you move your ego off to the side with marijuana. You know, my drugs of choice, alcohol and cocaine, I had huge ego instead. And that was, by the way, the most violent crimes against women are those two substances. So yes, peace. I'll do it. Thank you. And then my, my follow up, and I think you've sort of hinted a little bit um, at this, but if you want to add anything extra, is for yourself what you do to look after your mental well-being, so to find that peace. You know, it's so funny you say that because, um, so Joan and our sister Lori, when they have a little tiff, <laughs> they both agree what they, their style is, can I say it? Yeah. Sure. It's as if... It, the next day, they, someone might have hung up on someone. Someone might have said a, a horrible, a horrible yeah. thing or a hurtful word. And then the next day, there's this phone call and all is well. There, there's no mention of it either. Mm. Now, I'm the boring one that had all that depression and, and I call it verbal vomit. <laughs> and you know how sad my family, they, they wouldn't validate me. So I just went on relentlessly i mean it was terrible our father coined me the lecturer prior to dementia he called me the lecturer but um so anyway i'm the meaningful one that says well you got to think about this and you know it's kind of like i don't do this my son tells me because i guess i the dna did i did pass some dna down there and he says well you got to look at this and you know, where they say, write down all your bills, see what you make and figure that out. Well, I've never really been good at that. I've never done it well. But what I do for mental health, and it's over here, it's so funny. I have it right here. I wrote them all down, all the things I choose to do for my own mental health and peace. And one of the, so um, for example, exercise. And when I talk exercise, Joan and I walk a little bit, not far. We don't do any, Get up to, no job. You know, we're very French in our exercise routine. You know, Joan, the fork and the knife is exercise, exercise <laughs> all of that. But anyway, I made a point to say, Joan, music is healing. So music is on the list. And each of these things I have to commit myself to it's funny. I said 10 minutes a day. Well, 10 minutes was way too long because I have about one, two, about 10 things. So I start with five minutes. And the one I haven't mentioned here is um, uh, prayer, because I believe that uh, some type of spirituality is so important in your mental health and that it should be recognized and does whatever it is you do. One, one thing we have going on great in America is your religion, the right to the religion. Um, and, and yes, there's violence every once in a while, like anywhere, but no, there's way more. There. There's a lot of oh, violence, okay. but yeah. with the average human, mm. you know, we both were talking about, we worked, we had coworkers that based on their religion, couldn't work a particular, very, very, very busy day in the hospital or Which something. Which caused resentment. Well, I, not with me, but anyway, body care was, is very, very important as well. And that's not just a shower because I don't want to even go that way. But um, anyway, like the, there's some 
if you don't work at it, you're not going to have it. You don't just sit back and think, I wonder where all my joy is going to come from. That was me in my, uh, I think it was my thirties when my thought process was, well, I'm pretty sure my knight in shining armor is going to walk up three flights of stairs and knock on my door. I'm pretty sure he's going to somehow know where I live and he's going <laughs> to find me. And that never happened, obviously, because I didn't do anything about it. So, um, so that's the tips. Don't forget your spirituality. I'll tell you a couple tips. Don't be a realist like I was because we weren't open and receptive to, to mental healing through an alternative way. And that meaningful uh, DBT and CBT, for me, I'm going to vomit. I don't want to do it. I'm not going to go home and do homework. I'm not journaling. I don't even, I don't want to write anymore. Any, and look at that. Because we're authors. One of the best coping skills yeah. is gardening. Now, mm -hmm. I don't garden, mm -hmm. but every person I've ever met that was a gardener of some kind or loved being out in nature mm -hmm. did much better than people that didn't. And I also noticed people that had a routine of prayer of some kind did better as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tips. So don't be a realist like me and don't be, uh, what's the person who hates all religion and doesn't believe in anything? Atheist. Atheist. I was atheist. I should have been agnostic. So I'll give a tip of, of, there are other people in the world. We forget that as Americans, but there are human beings in the world that speak without a tense. Like I might say, I'm ugly. I'm always going to be ugly. Oh, if I could do a nose job, maybe I'll be pretty, things like that. But another country, they just know through the way they're saying it, through bringing in other things, they know what they're talking about. But it works in their favor. So what I'm saying is if affirmations are lies, who cares? Use them. No one believes it, especially men. I'm not going to lie to myself. Why? Politicians do it every day we lie to ourselves every day saying we can do it yet we go for the drug and that's the second half so be tenseless every so often and do those affirmations if it's prayer i believe prayer now now that i'm in my 60s i actually believe prayer is important move your ego off to the side you are not god you're not the only one in charge of your destiny community is there pick something to pray to or affirm in a positive way and then the second thing is marijuana that they said just yes. say no i grew up in the 70s and everyone was smoking and then we saw that movie that was rigged by the fbi and they said if you if you even socially there's a social word smoked marijuana you helped nail the coffin to this fbi agent i used to know his name i forget his name right now and I cried because I was a social smoker. And I stopped because uh, Betty Davis there, what was her name with Ronald Reagan? Nancy Reagan. Oh, because she said, just say no. And I really was judgmental about marijuana. And we, we were nurses. It was a, a schedule one. You could well, be dead we, in we, marijuana. We and everyone else in the medical profession, no matter which Ivy League school to state college you yeah. went to, in the... 80s and 70s, 70s yeah. it was it, marijuana was the devil i mean it was so we, there's we another thought of it as a schedule whatever it is a one, one. schedule one so there's a a, a document a, a collective uh compilation of of marijuana research and every so often every so often i read it and you know our father died of alzheimer's america oh my god what are we gonna do i don't know smoke THC, one milligram was, there's a case study now out on it, that the guy had a robust response to it. Um, you know, uh, 
It says in the literature that THC blocks that plaque buildup. We won't look at it because we didn't come up with it. We have the biggest ego. Oh. So smoke, get that ego off to the side and heal. You can't heal if you have a large ego because you're cocksure you're God and it's you. Okay. But it is you, Dorothy. <laughs> Go back to whatever the brook road and join your community. He did. I can do it too. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no, thank you. And you've um in there given us some tips, which was my other question. So that sadly brings me to my final question, which is we've mentioned your book. If you could give us the details and if you're online, if we can connect with you, where we can find you. Absolutely. So we are therapy twins one word.com. That's the website. And then we are also on Matchmaker FM. So we want to do podcasts. I think that's how a few people are finding us. And our book is under the hood. We're shortening the title. title because we read that again. No one has an attention span over here. I don't know about you guys, but yeah, under the hood, fewer words, the better instead of from under. And we swear in the title too, because we want to be our authentic selves and <clears throat> can't seem to get through conversations without a little swearing. Mm -hmm. So that's it. Therapytwins.com. Thank you. <laughs> Lovely. And we'll, we'll link in the show notes so people can find your website and find your book from there. Jane and Joan, thank you so much for joining us um, and for, for sharing. It's a great film. We've gone off on some tangents, loads of stuff we could have just talked about for ages. But uh -huh. thank you so much. And thank thank you. you so much. Thanks have for a listening. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> Wonderful. Is there a copay we owe you? <laughs> thank you. So a massive thank you to Jane and Joan for joining me on the show um, and for everything they've shared and yeah I'm really curious to to delve into their book and find out a little bit more I you know I think we maybe hopefully are making some progress in kind of humanizing our mental health services and support and the fact that we all have or a lot of us have our own mental health challenges and experiences and I think when we're more open about that, it it can make it easier sometimes for people to seek support or um, to, yeah, I don't know, there's something in the sense of community and in shared experience um, and shared stories that I think is really powerful. Um, so yeah, I'm definitely going to be checking it out and um, yeah, we'll put the links in the show notes so you can check it out as well. So yeah, that's everything for today. Hopefully we will be back next week with another episode. Um, I have got something in the pipeline scheduled to record for then. If not, I will try my best to drop in with a solo episode and some reflections because it feels like it's uh, been a little while <laughs> since we had that and since we've been in a regular rhythm. And so I'm trying to sort of get back into that whilst also being really mindful of my capacity for recording and self-care and all of that. Anyway, that's all. <laughs> so I hope hope you're doing well. And yeah, please do connect with us at Psyche Coaching, P-S-Y-K-H-E Coaching. We're across social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, and we'd love to hear from you if you have suggestions of episodes or content or questions or any of that stuff. And um, then drop us a message. And yeah, we'll be back next week. Until then, as always, take care of yourself. Be kind to yourself. 
just hearing my dog barking in the background. <laughs> don't know if he, if, uh, there we go. Someone wants to walk. <laughs> Take care of yourself. Be kind to yourself. And I'll speak to you soon. Bye for now.